Welcome to PPM Simplifies. This is a weekly podcast that will help you have a better understanding on environmental regulations and how they relate to your industry. In each episode, we'll talk with experts across various industries who will share their insights with you. This is PPM Simplifies. We have a fantastic guest with us again today, Mr. Jared Satterfield, engineer out of our Monroe, Louisiana office. Jared has done a number of podcasts, and we're so happy to have him back today to talk to us about PFOAs. Uh, That is a red-hot topic. A lot of things are being developed, and Jared and I are going to try to share some of the latest and greatest developments uh, on that topic, on that subject, if you will. Uh, Jared, hello to you, sir. Hello, Todd. Thank you for having me again. Absolutely, man. I tell you, whenever you hop on the podcast, uh, you always impart some really good information. So thanks for taking time to join us. So with that said, uh, let's just dive right into it. What are some of the things that I think that that you think that our audience would really uh, find pretty interesting about some of the latest developments in regards to uh, PFOA regulations and rules? Todd, over the last few months, we've really seen an increase in this hot topic. And some of the main ones we've been seeing, you know, back in April, EPA, they made an announcement that we now have three Clean Water Acts for folks. And so, you know, we're, we're really seeing that ramp up in different areas of increase on that side of things. You think about it, I mean, the universe of, of PFOs or PFAS, uh, literally hundreds of unique chemical compounds make up these forever chemicals. Exactly. It's, it's such a large universe of those. It's really getting their arms wrapped around and starting some of the acts on this to help us in that. So, so, so what are some other things that have been developing out there? So really with these acts, and the three of them that we're looking at, the draft aquatic life criteria, we're looking at a PFAS addressed in the NPDES permits and really going to see that hit a lot of our clientele and areas that we're operating in. Yeah, any project or, you know, uh, process, manufacturers, uh, et cetera, uh, they have to, you know, have an NPDES permit in place. And so they're, they're kind of evaluating how to bring uh, uh, PFOAs in, in, into those rules? That's correct. So we're going to see those injected in. In the near future, they're looking to address those. And you mentioned aquatic life. So uh, I guess what you're thinking there is along the lines of risk assessment, you know, how those forever chemicals impact the aquatic food chains and how they might work their way through uh, those cycles. Exactly. And that'll be through some of the runoff and some of the surface water discharges, especially from the NPDES permits. So they're all tied together really well. And with that being said, you know, the third action we're looking at is an absorbable organic fluorine method that is really a screening method to be able to see if there are some potential PFAS in the areas. And I guess what that speaks to is the technology to test because the levels 
of regulation in some states and ultimately uh, on the federal side, it's in the parts per trillion. And we've spoke about before, but that's just a really hard number to get to. And so many variables could affect your accuracy uh, there. Uh, that, that certainly does create a challenge, doesn't it? Definitely. And, you know, in May of 22, the EPA added five PFAS to a list and the risk-based values for site cleanups and remediation. So these were um, chemicals that, that were on everyone's radar, and uh, the EPA looked at those and said, hey, we think that our advisory uh you know, suggested numbers of being protective of human health environment might be too low, and, and they actually lowered uh, some of those numbers? They did. And so, you know, they're down in the part per trillion, but some of them are less than the part per trillion. And so they're actually below the detectable limits. So that's proposing some, some hardships there. Guy, yeah, just, just again, think about the science has to go into accurately detecting to those levels. Pretty incredible. It really is. And in June of this year, we really saw a, a large ramp up in the PFOS. And so there was a test order put out under the National PFOS Testing Strategy, and it's going to provide more than 2,000 PFOS data on all of these for to start collecting data and seeing how we need to go forward with those. And that 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 definitely makes sense as they think through, you know, how industry utilizes. Because again, the, these chemicals, you know, the intent is not a bad intent, and we enjoy a much better quality of life because uh, the use of of, of PFAS. However, um, they are adversely, you know, impacting health, and that we, we got to be protective of that. And so, it, it's always a very delicate balance. But the more information you can, you know, obtain and collect from the different you know, constituents that are that are uh, affected, the ones that produce, the ones that consume, how that affects those. Uh, you need as much information as you can get. That's right, Todd. And so with the more data that we're collecting and the directions that we're going, EPA released four drinking water health advisories for PFOS also this month. It, but the interesting part is there's also a $1 billion grant to help address um, these PFAS and other emerging contaminants in drinking water by EPA now. So, so on that, you know, and I think it, it's a multi-level approach, but one of the approaches is, you know, we, we, there are a lot of areas we're discovering in the United States of America to where there's PFAS contamination and, you know, how to address that. And I've read a number of articles of late that um, everyone is very, very encouraged and believes that ultimately ultraviolet light will be the key to breaking down these forever, forever chemicals. Have you, have you studied that? I have seen some of this, Todd, and it is showing promise in the studies, and I believe you'll see that increase in those in different applications as we go. Jared, uh, that's a lot of, of certainly good information. Are there some other highlights of some of the latest developments you want to share with us? Really one more kind of stands out, Todd. In Florida, the governor recently signed a law that's prohibiting state and local agencies from taking action against property owners based on 
the president of PFOS until FDEP really adopts the rules establishing cleanup standards. That's a real practical approach that, you know, that'd be interesting to watch that develop. What What are your thoughts there? Thoughts there, I mean, it's a, it's a good setup for people who do have the con- concentrations on their property that are retroactive in because of historical events. But this allows for FDP, other agencies to actually come in and set some limits before the flag goes up. Hey, I have PFOS on my property. Now what do I do? So so that measure, then maybe the way to simplify that would be it it's be before we just get the 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 horse or the cart ahead of the horse. Um, let's make sure we understand exactly, you know, how we want to move forward, what, what would adversely affect us and not all of a sudden have a lot of, you know, litigation engagements that gum up the system where the real work is trying to identify the problem and fix the problem and then trying to collaborate that out together. That seems like a, a balanced approach. On that, Jared, uh, I know you now discussed this late last year. Uh, the EPA put out a um, a PFAS strategic roadmap and kind of laid out, and they've done this before, but they kind of laid out what they expect to accomplish over the next few years. And uh, obviously, they have a, a council uh, on PFAS that, you know, looks at all the information coming from all the different ch- channels, all the different parties associated with it, and they're, they're trying to advise the EPA on the things they need to, you know, begin to publish, think through, ultimately uh, working into, into rulemaking. And, you know, one thing I think is, is unique is you've kind of laid out, you know, some of the latest uh, information for us. Uh, is the first, you know, real cornerstone of at least the way the EPA is approaching it is is, is investing in the research. And you talked about uh, there's some new grants out there uh, or commitments to dollars to go out and, and do this research because really as we think about it, we, we know a lot about uh, PFAS, but there's so much more for us to really learn about them. Definitely. Definitely, Todd. I mean, there's so much information out there because really there are so many different there's ones that we're more commonly in, encountering, but we're still learning about the others that aren't nearly as common. And so the the next leg of, of this approach to EPA is restricting. As the late 80s, 90s, we began to learn that PFAS can affect your health adversely. New chemicals, I guess a new generation of chemicals were developed that were not as threatening or harmful to human health and the environment. And so there's money and work being done to try to make sure they're making the right, you know, restrictions. But to that end, I read a recent study that took samples of a number of fast food chains, including some of the big ones, the ones that are all around our nation. And they're still finding measurements of fluorine in their wrappers and so, you know, we're still being exposed uh, to these forever chemicals, although, you know, hopefully the newer generation, there's just a lot, you know, not known. So, you know, kind of restricting the use of that when, when appropriate uh, is, an, is another great objective uh, of, of the program. And then the last one, uh, and we spoke about this 
earlier is uh, remediating. And, and I think that's going to be the key to, to win the war here is finding very effective ways to take large amounts of groundwater, which seems to be the, the, the easiest way, you know, things are being transferred and moving around and exposures occurring and remediate that in, 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 in your, you know, well, wellhead systems, uh, you know, ultimately is it some type of, you know, giant UV filter? We know that carbon can help address uh, PFA contaminations. So, it's going to be interesting to watch that. And the remediation side, Jerry, that's probably a place that you really, you know, you get pretty intrigued trying to, to see what the latest information is. That's right, Todd. The remediation side is definitely, I don't want to say it's lacking by no means, but it is behind because we don't have the information on it. Yet. But with the ultraviolet light, hopefully there won't be a end product to have to dispose of. And as, with the carbon and the resins, we're going to have to have somewhere to go with that or somehow to destroy it. And so hopefully this ultraviolet light is showing promise and that we, like I said, we won't have a byproduct from these processes once we run the water through, once we have a clean product to turn out. So, so to recap our discussion today, uh, what we've learned is you know, the work is still well underway, a lot of stuff to, to, to study and understand before we can really set rules, before the EPA will move forward with that. But to that point, uh, the way that we're identifying and testing for PFAS, a lot of new developments on that side, uh, new developments on how to remediate and how to address these uh, chemicals are in, in, you know, drinking water and groundwater across the United States. You know, they're looking at, you know, even the new generation, are those really as safe as we think they are? You know, discussing uh, bringing into into water permitting, um, you know, how, how, how will that work through uh, NPDESs? They're looking at, you know, how companies report PFAS on their toxic, their TRIs or toxic release inventories. There's just a lot of developments uh, and there's a lot of, of hopes, but I think that, the bottom line is rules are being developed. There's certainly some some state-by-state state rules, uh, and those are being refined. But it probably sometime uh, in the next two years, we're going we're gonna to have some, some deep, you know, PFOA guidance so we can really know, you know, what is safe and what needs to be remediated, and then a program on, on how to address that. Definitely, Todd. It'll ramp up in the next few years as we've seen exponentially over this last couple of years this has become a hot no, no doubt about it well jared i'm sure there's always more and uh, we hope to have you back in the next few months with with some more updates and thanks for uh, sharing with us uh, what you did. I know the audience appreciates that. Uh, if you would like to discuss this topic further or any other environmental topics, you can always reach out to us on our website, ppmco.com. There's a contact us button, and you can send an email to myself or Jared. Uh, just um, type your question or your thoughts and send it over to us. Always glad to hear from you there. Jared, again, thanks so much for your time today. Any last thoughts? Covered it, Todd. Just a few like to discuss how it would affect you thing that you were working through just feel free to all right my friend well to our audience out there thanks for tuning in 
Uh, Again, this is Todd Perry, and this is PPM Simplifies. Thank you for finding our podcast. For more information, be sure to visit our website at ppmco.com. To stay updated on new episodes, feel free to subscribe to PPM Simplifies on your podcast app of choice. Until next time, this is PPM Simplifies.